Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to the Die Living Podcast. Special guest we have on today is Rick Alexander. He is the main host of Lionheart Radio, which is probably one of the top podcasts right now in the strength conditioning and endurance realm and bringing on a lot of great content to everybody. He also is an author of Burn Your Couch, which is a new uh, book he just wrote, and I'm actually excited to read it. You know, he's going to be giving me a copy today and uh, with his sign, so I get to have a first autographed copy of a book I've never had before, so... You should feel special, but um, he's a big time ultra runner um, and just got done completing uh, about a month, two months ago. Yeah. Um, September. September, the Tahoe 200. And he will go ahead and give you all of the updates and what he went through with that, plus everything else he has going on. So, Rick, the floor is yours. Cool. Well, thanks for the kind words and thanks for having me on the Dialogue Podcast. Um, yeah, I think the last time we attempted to record this show was right after I had run the Tahoe 200. So I was like fresh. But what's interesting is a lot of times you go through these experiences and then they kind of fade away. I feel like these moments are fucking seared in my brain, dude. That pain, like for whatever reason, we as humans have a tendency to forget about pain that we went through. Like if you think about uh, selection, probably going through the military, you can think back and you, you do remember a lot of things. But by and large, the pain for whatever reason kind of falls away. And this Tahoe, the pain from Tahoe is it's still seared in my mind. And, you know, the 200s are growing, like, large part because Joe Rogan has started having a lot of people on um, that have run these races. But to the, to the popularity, we, we talked about the 200 selling out really fast. Um, but it's also because the Destination Trail Races, which is they put on the Tahoe 200 that I did, they are, they just put on a great race. And Not, who, who is it that runs that? Like, you saw, you said her name. Yeah, Candice Burke. Yeah, Candice Burke, yeah. yeah. So she, um, yeah, I, I can't remember her Instagram, but Candace Burke, she puts on the, the big 200s. Her thing is 200 is a new 100, but she puts on a great race. They're expensive. I'm not going to lie. I think I paid like 900 bucks to enter the race. Wow. But to have a 200 mile race that is marked like a marathon, I mean, you really, like I said before, like I only got lost like once or twice. It wasn't really lost. I just wasn't sure if I was on the trail or not. And that was in the midst of like heavy hallucinations. And so um, that is a testament to itself. And then on top of that, I got to send her a grocery list. I was like, hey, this is what I want at aid stations. Like, that's out of control. You just did a race and it was yeah. barely aided, right? Well, imagine I was like, no, I want pancakes at mile 62. You know what I mean? That so is that awesome. Cool. Yeah. That's funny you say that, dude, because like, like, I just got done with my 50 miler and <laughs> I had nothing. Right. It was literally like, all right, eat your gel packs or eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich, drink water, and, uh, or drink a soda. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny we talked about this. Dude, you said that that whole course is marked. Was it all trail or was it pavement? Because now, like, you know, me doing my first one and training for it, the course that I just did, we'll say about 70% of it was pavement and hard-packed trail, and then the other 30% was trail. So for this Tahoe 200 and just in general with all the other races, if people wanted to get into them, if they haven't done them yet, you know, what are the checkpoints like? What are the trails like? Is there hard-packed road? Are there fire breaks? Yeah, in 205 miles, 80,000 feet of elevation gain and loss, only eight miles were road. Wow. Yeah. And it was like, there were some good, like, four or five. It was a couple four-mile stretches of, like, flat road. And honestly, by the time you got there, it just felt good because you were, like, not you're going up and down, you know, for the entire 
know, for me, 80 hours or whatever it was. So to just get on the road and be able to chill, that, that actually felt pretty good. But it, it's all trail. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know, like I said, when I signed up for my race and remember you telling me like, that's gonna be a rough race. I had no idea. And I have no idea what a, a legit 50 miler feels like. Right. I mean, I did 50 miles, but this was a fat ass race. So, you know, being able to look at it in that realm and being like, all right, so only eight miles of that was road yeah. and everything was a trail. I'm pretty sure that was nice. And you know, it gave you a different scenery and it made the miles go by quicker. Cause I know when walking on a flat road, um, an open area, it makes the miles seem so much slower. Right. Right. And, and trails are exciting. I mean, and you get all of these different, um, this different scenery, especially if you do a, a race with a lot of climbing, like, I mean, they were just so it, it basically the way the Tahoe 200 works is it's a race 205 miles, but it does an entire lap around Lake Tahoe and it hits every mountaintop, literally every high mountain peak. Like if she could go out of her way to hit it, she makes sure she hits it in the race. <laughs> so you're like, fuck her halfway through. Um, but but it's cool because you get to experience all of these like insane like sunsets and sunrises and all this stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, dude, I'm actually looking forward to like, you know, continuing on with that journey yeah. and hopefully have a 200 miler. I mean, you, you said you did a 50 mile. I listened to one of your podcasts back. I forget who it was with, but you talked about, Oh, you did it with Ryan from Alco performance podcast. Yeah. And you talked about, you did a 50 miler four years ago. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know, I'm just, I got a hair up my butt. And you're like, I'm gonna go run a hundred miles. Yeah. You failed that a hundred miler. And then you signed up for a 200 miler. So kind of walk me through the what happened in mindset. Yeah. Walk me through that. So listeners can have an understanding of that. All right. So I got home from deployment four or five years ago and uh, throughout that deployment, I was in Africa. We were kind of restricted to the wire. We didn't have a lot of room to run. So if you ran all the way around the edge of the perimeter, um, the wire, so to speak, it was like a half a mile. So the most running I did in a nine-month deployment was Murph, right, which is a mile run on uh, sandwiched in the, at the end of the workout. And so um, I really didn't do cardio. I came back. I was like 200 and almost 30 pounds in real good shape as far as I could Olympic weightlift and powerlift and I mean, you know, you have so much downtime on deployment. You're like bodybuilding. I'm just doing everything I can. I get home and I decided to go for a run one morning. I don't even know what it was. I was just like, oh, I go for a run. Like that's something active people do. So I go for a run and I, I'm telling you like within a half a mile, I'm doubled over cramped. Like I just, literally, I just, I don't know what it was. So like I, w I wanted to do a five mile run and I probably stopped 10, 15 times in five miles. And a lot of people that are listening uh, can probably like into this mindset, but it's like just a lack of ability pisses me off yeah. after a while. And I talk about this in my book. It's like just sitting there doubled over. I'm like, this isn't going to fly. I'm not, I don't like when people talk about how cool they used to be. It's like, oh, back in the day, I would run a marathon. And it's like, no, nah, dude, this is life and it's happening right now. So what can you fucking do right now? And that's, that's kind of like how I always measure myself. And I, you know, as we age, like things change. But for me, any lack of ability, it just it gets under my skin. Yeah. And literally, I got home from that run, and I found a 50-miler. It was something on my bucket list. And I was like, I had never done even run a marathon at that point. I signed up. And we can talk about how I trained for that efficiently. We just talked a lot about that on yeah. my podcast. A lot of those same methods I took. And then um, I went, and I was able to do that 50-miler. And although it hurt, I was able to get through it um, with relative ease. And I think from the time I couldn't run five miles to when I did that 50 was only like a month or a month and a half. Wow. Yeah. So, um, but I had a big base of, of strength, strength to, yeah, to so. work off of. Right. So I wasn't starting from zero. I wasn't starting from couch. <laughs> and so <laughs> then I was like, okay, I did it. I knocked it off my list. I also got a lot of aerobic conditioning. And then throughout then what I would do is I went through like, 
um, CrossFit and I did some strongman for a while, competed at a decently high level, not like I wasn't a games athlete, but you know, I did the granite games in that time frame. Um, I competed in a bunch of strongman events and then same thing. I kind of got dogged down by that lack of ability again, like four years later. And I was like, I'm going to do a hundred this time and thinking from the last time, like, you know, my mental, a lot of people, you know, it's all mental. Yes. But there's a huge physical component there. <laughs> and so sometimes you fucking find that line. Yeah. Right? But in my head, I'm like, dude, it's all mental. And I really didn't, I really didn't work out or train for that hundred miler at all going into it. In my head, I'm like, dude, I'm, yeah, I got this. I'm, I'm mentally strong enough. And dude, I failed and I failed hard. It was like the first thing that I had like really been like, I'm fucking doing this. And up until then, I mean, you know, going through selection, a lot of people don't make it. The people that do are, are people that are capable of most anything. Yep. And so I had that mindset going into it. I'm like, dude, I, I can do this. And dude, what I just found is like, no, like my body literally was like, dude, I get it. Your mind, I was fine mentally, had all my faculties, but I literally couldn't continue to put my feet in front of each other fast enough in order to make the time cut off. Gotcha. And that's what happened. I got pulled for time, not, not for quitting, not for not making it. Literally, I just didn't make it to the mile 72 checkpoint time on that first hundred. And that's, then, what's up? No, yeah, that's, and that's funny you say this because, you know, people ask you this question all the time. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Right. And it's one of those things where I've learned also coming into this ultra endurance realm is why I can't give you an explanation of really why. Yeah. You don't understand. I don't. It's hard for me to the way I look at it is like for me to give my why to somebody. They just don't. Won't, they won't understand it. Right. Right. And you know, when you looking back and all that stuff like that, you know, your your book is called Burn Your Couch, and it makes sense now, right? Like the lack of ability to do something mm-hmm. just drives you nuts. Yeah. And the couch is one of those things that holds you back from exploring and pushing past those abilities. Yeah. You know, so it's like whenever someone asks you that question, why? Why did you want to run a fifty mile? Why did you just do a hundred mile out of nowhere? And then why after that hundred mile, after filling it, you're like, fuck it. Yeah. I'm going to go run 200 miles. Now. Yeah. Most people won't do that. Right. Most people be like, Oh, hundred miles. I'm going to go back and race hundred miles. Sure. Right. And I'm not going to lie to you. When I ran my 50 mile just on Friday, I was like, if I don't make the time hacks, I'm going for a hundred mile race. The next one. I don't care. Right. You get it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, but I can't put it into words yeah. of like how they want. So with you've been doing ultra marathons now, cause you've done what over 10. Yeah. You know, can you put those into words for the new people and those that are doing it? In the book, I try to. Um, but, you know, first of all, I because obviously everybody says, like, why would you do that? That's the first question that everybody asks you. And at, to some level, the it's got to be the impetus for adventure is just to find out, right? You just have to know. Like, it's like the Sir Edmund Hillary quote. They're like, why did you climb Everest? And it's like, because it's there. Yeah. Because you have that. You want to know. You want to know what your body's capable of. But on top of that, like, I kind of step back and I look at the human condition of where we're at right now. If you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, humans were meant to crouch and jump and run and and do these things in the woods and move our family at the same time and fucking kill and explode and be explosive. And at the same time, be able to take our family and be nomadic about it. That's how humans evolve. And so if you look at it from that and it's like, but now what are we doing? Right? We're sitting on the couch, we're being spoon fed intellectually lazy information by the fucking media and by all, and I don't want to tangent on that, but by all of these things and it's our best life is passing us by the very thing that make us human. The things that humans are capable of uh, is literally going by while we just kind of sit there and instead of, and the reason is because we decide what do we want right now? People want comfort. No matter what it is. It's like, if you look at marketing entrepreneurs, our job is to fill a gap in the market. Right. And so 
if I'm going to sell you something, I'm going to say this thing that I'm selling you is going to make you more comfortable. Well, what happens is as consumers, we just gobble all of these things up with reckless abandon. And then we end up as humans so far from what we were meant to be or what we evolved to be. And so there's this huge gap in our biology and the way that we're living our lives right now. Our biology hasn't been able to catch up to this world of, of screens and a virtual reality. And if you look at it, you can look at the wealth line of a nation and then the depression line essentially tracks right alongside of it, right? And so you have to take a step back and look at these things. It's like, well, what are we marching toward? Yeah. Like, what is the point of this life? And I don't know what it is, um, but I, it can't be about, uh, you know, good deals and, and binge watching Netflix. Like the fact that that's become somewhat of a badge of honor in society now, it's like a weird, it's a weird thing. And I don't think you were asking for this tangent. No, but it's perfect though. Right. And I mean, it, it is. We've just gotten to this weird place that's so far from what we evolved to be. Think about eating food. Eating food throughout our evolution was a dangerous fucking thing, right? Because we had to hunt our food down or we had to gather it. And while we were gathering it, there were things that were trying to kill us. We used our brain to get to the top of the food chain. But now this thing that used to be literally capable of killing us, a life or death situation, going to get food can now be done on an app on your phone without ever leaving your couch. I literally wanted headphones yesterday at 9 a.m. and I ordered them and I got them by 9.58 on Amazon. <laughs> like that's where we're at right now. And over time, maybe our biology will adapt, but it hasn't yet. And that's evident by skyrocketing obesity rates and depression rates and the human condition seems to be sick right now in my perspective. Oh, 100% agree. Right? And so, taking it a step back, it's like, why do these things? Humans were fucking meant to do them. Yeah. And when you do them, you realize how much that aligns. When you're out in the woods, when your cell phone reception doesn't work, when you spend a long time like fighting it out in the mountains, the original proving grounds of the fucking human species, the fucking wild, you realize like, oh, this is what it was. This is what life was supposed to be. This is what it was meant to feel like. And your instincts kick in. Right. That, that you've probably never experienced before. And I'm not gonna lie to you, like I've done deployments, I've been in gunfights, I've done like I've done endurance work and stuff like that. But to like, you know, really kind of get on the same level with you is when I did that 50 miler, your body goes into the survival mode that it's meant to be in, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, how many times was your body going to survival mode back in the day when we had to hunt and gather food? Yeah. All the time. But look how look how healthy it was for these people that did that then. Yeah. And look what it did for them. And like some people might say, like, well, they didn't live long. Well, yeah, they didn't have the medicine or whatever else to do that, but you can't compare. You can't compare that. But, but what's the point of life, right? Is it to live long or is it quality? Yep. And right, and right quality over quantity, right? Yeah. Like I think that quality is key, right? I, I look at that as like, all right, I got to live an amazing life. I got to put my body through things that no one else got to do. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's amazing. So that kind of leads you into like now, you know, the last podcast that we did, we had some user error and some audio connection problems. Yeah. You know, we started talking a lot about, you know, you know, when you're in that environment, right? Like what's going through your head at time and moment when you're at mile 127, you've been running for, let's say a day and a half, mm -hmm. right? And you have to climb these mountains. You know, what is in your head that time frame internally, not just externally, right? Because we mean you both just did something for your company and I forgot to mention that the intro was Project Motive. Yeah. Which is a charity, right? We did Paint for a Purpose was for me for raising bikes for kids and you sat on a bike for almost 11 hours to yeah. raise 
$4,500 yeah. for bikes to get these kids all these bikes. Um, so not just internally, uh, externally, but internally, what has really driven you besides all of this stuff of like testing my body and everything else like that? Because there's a wire and that leads to something deeper inside your body. Yeah. And, and honestly, if it's for yourself, that will get you to a point. If you're, if you have a chip on your shoulder and it's like, I'll show them what I'm capable of, or I'll show the world what I'm capable of. That's an attitude and a mindset that will get you to a point in life. It got me through selection. It got me through training, got me to a great place, but it's not going to get you where you ultimately want to be. Eventually you realize you, you take all these tools and tactics. And that's what I talked about in my books. So you take all these tools and tactics and you realize they're going to get you to a point, but in order to get to a higher level, there comes a point where you must evolve. Right. And what I realized is all the hate and discontent that I had growing up and that I used as a fuck to make me a good soldier to make me good at all these things there got a point where it was like okay well that's fine but that rugged exterior is going to get stripped away in the next 150 miles i fucking promise you it will the amount of pain you're in for such a long period of time it just tears away any of that rugged exterior um i, I literally liken it to ecstasy because it's like it takes away it lowers your inhibitions but it also just it tears at you to like who like down to your core right you don't have you're not People aren't strong enough to be like pissy and discontent 150 miles into a race. And what I realized is I had to figure out some kind of purpose that was deeper than me in order to continue to go. And so for the Tahoe 200 race, I decided to raise money for the Heroes Project. Yeah, so what they do is basically they take injured veterans and then they help them uh, like summit mountains. And so for me, you can take a look at a lot of different veteran charities because there are a lot of them. Personally, I think a lot of them miss the mark. Um, and the reason that they do is because they throw money at a problem and what that problem needs is purpose. It doesn't need money. Uh, to give you an example, I have a friend who lost his legs. Well, the, between the VA and between different nonprofit organizations, they literally paid for his house and he doesn't ever have to worry about money again. And he's in his house and wants to fucking blow his brains out because his wife left and he has no purpose. Money's just not good enough. It, it just doesn't always solve the problem. It helps for sure. I'm not saying it doesn't help. Um, so what the heroes project does is it takes these veterans and it gives them another, gives them a new fucking mountain to climb literally. Right. And so for me, I'm like, they get it. They fucking, they hit the mark. Let me help out with that. And so I just vowed like, Hey, I'm going to run 205 miles and uh, anyone that supports what I'm doing and supports having a deeper purpose in life. This is why I'm doing it. And so, you know, I raised, I think it was about $4,000 for the heroes project. Well, in turn, 150 miles. Um, I got high altitude pulmonary edema. Everything fucking hurts. I'm hallucinating like crazy. I can't sleep. I mean, the amount of pain that I was in, it's like, it's hard to even put into words how painful that was. And still between all of that, there was absolutely no fucking chance. I was going to take $4,000 from my friends and family that I vowed to raise for this organization that I cared about and be like, yeah, sorry, I didn't make it fam. Yeah. That's not going to be a thing, dude. Now I took the money. I got the purpose. Like, and you know how I got to a place, a mindset where it was like, you know, my mission is to explore my capability and be an example for what's possible out there in life, right? And so it got to a point where I'm like, dude, the universe is fucking soft serving this to me right now. All I got to do is keep moving forward. Like, I don't have the audacity to bitch about that. This is what I wanted. I'm in it. You know, I'm living for a purpose that I deeply care about. And so then it just became a matter of like, okay, well, how can I manage these things that are going wrong? Like the edema, which we can talk about or whatever. Um, and so you're just, you become very solution oriented when your purpose is aligned with what you're trying to do. Yeah. 
and, and, you know, it's funny we talk about that because I know during my race, you know, I got to race f like $508 was I end up raising somewhere around that. Yeah, for the project, for, for the project motive. So I looked at that as like it was $40 per bike. So I was like, cool, I raised 12 bikes. I got to use 12. I got to give kids 12 bikes. Yeah. So when I looked at the $500, um, when I was 12 miles out, I used each mile for each kid. Oh, that's awesome. Right? And then when I was five miles that's out, dope. I used – hundred miles for each or I used when I was five miles out a hundred dollars per for for the raising that yeah and that was my external motivation to keep me going so it's kind of cool that you know we're able to do that and I thank you for bringing me on and doing that because that was probably one of the biggest helps that helped me finish the race not only did I have my internal motivations and I and you know I didn't talk much about that on your show um, but you know it was one of those things where like I use like I don't talk much about it though like I think my normal childhood growing up was normal mm -hmm. but if I was to write it on a piece of paper or tell it to somebody they're looking at me like I'm like Dude, you're not normal. That's not normal. Right. You know? And, uh, so, you know, going to the internal and external motivations, I really, I really believe that you have to have both in there. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, you're not going to get to where you want to go. And that doesn't just go with ultra running. It doesn't go with just endurance, but it also goes in life and like entrepreneurship and all that good stuff. And that leads me to that word will, mm -hmm. right? Do you have the willpower to be able to sustain doing all these things, not just internally, but externally also. Mm -hmm. So, Next question kind of want to talk about our fast is what made you want to write the book? I know it was a lack of it. Some of it was a lack of ability, like, you know, can't do it, but really, you know, the, the name of the, of the, of the title is burn your couch. Right, like right. never heard a book named burn your couch. Yeah. And a lot of people look at that and like it's drawn to them right away because of the fact, again, society nowadays is so soft. When you hear a title like that, it's like, all right, what is this supposed to be like? Right, right. Let's get after you know Yeah, and I'm saying? not going to lie, the book's in your face. Like I say the word fuck a lot. I lost an editor because I said fuck too much. Really? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I think anybody that writes a book, they do it for a purpose, and that purpose is they feel like they have to. They have something that they need to say to the world. And um, what I did is through entrepreneurship, through being in the military for 10 years, um, doing four different deployments, through running ultra marathons, like if you look, if you take a step back, success leaves clues, right? Yep. There are things, commonalities that we can take between all the people that have been successful and we can boil them down. And so essentially what Burn Your Couch is, is a collective of all of these different things that I've learned through deploying, through going through selection, through running uh, hours and hours on end, um, starting businesses and fucking failing. Like failure is huge, man. Like it, it, a lot of times what happens is we hit this failure. Failure creates an inflection point. When you fail, you're you are faced with a very real opportunity. You can either fold inward, right? And that's what we look for in selection in the military. We want to know these people that are going to hit the wall of like comfort, so uncomfortable that it feels like your only option is to quit. We want to know how you're going to handle that, right? Well, in, and so you, you have an option. You can fold in and you can kind of shoulder that and quit and, you know, like take it on board and it can hurt. Or you can, you can hit this point where you look back at what worked and what didn't. You can double down, realize you're poised on your next effort to be more successful, take what worked, and then you double down on your own efforts, right? And that, that creates an opportunity. So throughout the book, I talk about some very real failures I've had, like an apparel company that was fucking awful and bombed right away. Uh, I talked about this before, but the 100 miler that I was going to do, that same month I was uh, – scheduled to be uh, Forbes 30 under 30 on their, um, on their, one of these podcasts that they have, like things were going well for me for whatever reason, Forbes dropped it and uh, it went completely black on me. And at the same time, I didn't finish that hundred miler. So in my head, like it, July of that year was going to be like the year that I was like reaching the top. I was going to look at what I've done. 
right? But here's the thing, dude, my purposes wasn't strong enough at the time and it didn't, it didn't get me through. You know, once you have that purpose going for that 200, my purpose was so strong. I wasn't going to blow off trading. You know what I mean? When you, when you start a company, if your purpose is strong enough, not in money, like it's not about at the time I thought I started a company. I want to make fuck you money. I want to be on an airplane. You know what I mean? Coke, uh, Coke and hookers. This is what it's all about. <laughs> and it's, it's not a strong enough why to get you. So you have to figure out what these things are. Um, so throughout the book, I talk about a lot of failures, what I've learned, but then also like the mindset to approaching those failures. That's, and that's usually that kind of looks at you at this, right? Like, and, and I'm excited to read your book because it sounds like there's more failures in there than there are highs, you know, and, and people don't, people are afraid to talk about the failures. Yeah. Right. Like people are really afraid to talk about failures and what people don't realize is failures actually make you that much stronger. Mm -hmm. I really believe that. Right. Yeah. And when you go in and talk about purpose, you say your best, like I'm going to start this company at the time period because I want to make all this money have hookers and blow and, mm -hmm. and whatever else. But realistically, that's, that's an external motivation. Right. Yeah. And we talked about that just recently, like you need an internal motivation first and then external, right. Same thing with that purpose. And that's one of those big things I look at too nowadays, right? I, I don't look at me as George, the head of human performance with Salt or George is uh, uh, an endurance athlete. I look at George as the father yeah. of two kids. And then everything underneath that are sub, sub purposes and sub intents that lead me to be the best father. Same, it, it's, it's just that, right? right? All those are internal motivations and internal purposes that help me continue doing what I'm doing. And again, it took failures for us to, for us to get there. Yeah. You know, so, you know, if, if this is a question that I like to ask, actually, it just started kind of coming into my head and I did it on a podcast on mentors of military, but if you were to die tomorrow, what would your purpose and everything else want to be remembered as? Like, what would people remember you as if you were to die tomorrow, you know, from your purpose right now and your intent and everything else like that? Yeah, that's heavy. That is, yeah. <laughs> well, so I, you know, I can't, I can't help what people are going to judge me by. I really can't. And you have to kind of let go of that. Um, but having a purpose in life, it's the most important thing um, that I could possibly say. If you want to be successful in any endeavor, you have to have a purpose. My purpose is to serve as, as an example for what is possible. I, Cause that's what I love about athletes, right? Like when we step back, like when you looked at Lance Armstrong in his heyday, or you know, I realize these people have kind of fallen from grace now, but when you step back and you look at what they did um, or the, or the Tom Brady now, or you step back and you're like, humans are capable of that that's what we love yeah we love to realize that other humans are capable of these wild things um and you know some of us get to enjoy it from our cup so for me i hope that i you know dude i'm not putting out i'm not always doing great things like i said that was a huge failure the book when i look at it i'm like dude i'm a better writer than that i know i am i started writing when i was 24 years old i've evolved as a writer since a lot of that book was written um but it's part of the evolution. I'm, I'm trying to serve as an example for what's possible. Fuck yeah, you can write books. No, you don't need permission from anybody. You know, and we get in this, I guess it's the way society is set up or whatever. Um, but our frame of reference for what is possible is so narrow these days, right? If you, a good way to put this is if you grew up with an Olympian as a parent, being in the Olympics is something you think is possible because you've seen it, you know it can happen. If not, it's not a fucking thing. Yeah. Go tell people I'm going to train for the Olympics. They're going to be like, what? That's not something that we get to do. You know what I mean? And so um, you just have to realize, like, you don't need permission from fucking anybody to do anything. No. You can't just go do it. And, you know, there's genetic limits there, of course. Um, but I think the upward mobility of what people are capable of is so much higher than they would believe. And that's just because uh, we don't, haven't previously had access to that information. 
But now things are open source, right? Now people can follow softly and they can get ready for a special forces selection. When I was getting ready, nobody in my hometown knew what the fuck. Yeah. They don't know anybody that ever been special forces. So that was not going to be a thing. You know, literally friends and family, I would like to think based more on their worldview than their ability to think of what I'm capable of. You know what I mean? But people did not think I was going to make it. Yeah. And it's not because I was a good athlete, whatever, in school. But people's frame of reference is so fucked up. So if I die tomorrow, hopefully people will look at some of the things that I've done, but more of what I'm striving to do Hell yeah. and realize like, oh, okay. That's dope, dude. Yeah. yeah, I know it's a heavy question. I know like, actually, yeah. I forgot where I heard that, you know, that podcast question from and I decided to run with it also. Yeah. Um, but this brings me to questions I actually hit up uh, on our Softly page. Sure. Just, you saw that I posted asking for questions. And the first question that came up was, Thoughts on strength training as an ultra runner. Most ultra coaches seem to think putting in the miles is good enough for lower body strength. I think there is some value to strength training in the off season. Does strength versus aerobic capacity become more important once you get past hundred K distances or so? We just talked about this on the lap on your podcast, right? But let's go ahead and get into your methodology and your philosophies and your principles to help answer this question. Yeah. And yeah, no question that strength training is going to make you a better endurance athlete. Endurance athletes miss the boat on strength training completely, in my opinion, by and large. Um, and I would definitely direct people to listen to that because you just put out a good hour of information on that. Um, and, and we'll release that on the Lionheart Radio Show, too. That being said, strength athletes also miss the boat on endur endurance work, right? We, we talked about this a lot, but if you don't build that aerobic base, you're not going to perform as well as you could if you were strength training, uh, if you had that aerobic base and then brought that over to your strength training. You're going to be less fatigued deeper in your sets. How does that translate? You're going to be able to perform with time under tension deeper into your sets. You're going to be able to recruit more muscle, more central nervous system deeper into your sets. Now, when you talk about endurance running, yeah, you can, uh, there's so many things that you can take from the strength world, but a lot of it is injury prevention. You know, we mentioned I ran over 10 ultras this year, knock on wood. I, I did all that by and large without an injury. People are like, how are you not getting overuse injuries? Well, because I use strength training to one, make me a more efficient runner. Um, it protects me because the uh, muscular endurance and the soft tissue work that you're getting through your joints just from being under load, squatting heavy and often, those are things that are going to translate. Also, we talked about in an ultra, it's a lot of power hiking uphill. That's posterior chain. As soon as I realized that, my very first one, how smoked my posterior chain got, okay, now I'm throwing in kettlebell swings and I'm throwing in deadlifts. And of course, you have to do it smart, but there are so many efficiencies and, and things that you can take from one world and apply to the other. And I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not, if you're not doing that. That's huge, man. That's, that's something too. Like I said, another question came in also too was, is there an optimal height to weight ratio for endurance sports? So if you look at any sport, yes. Yeah. Right. It, it shakes out like, uh, it just shakes out that there are body types. Look at Michael Phelps and his wingspan, right? Um, I think it was David Epstein. He wrote a book called Sports Gene, okay. and he gave a TED Talk on it as well. But basically, he, sh he showed that these people, they come from certain areas of the world. We can look at the marathons and, and the Kenyans and the Ethiopians, right? They tend to have less bone density, and they tend to have a longer uh, limb to torso ratio, which makes them able to cover more distance over time. Mm -hmm. Fuck yeah, that matters. But that doesn't mean that you're not capable of yeah. these things either, right? At, I did my first ultra at 200 and Literally, I ran that 200 miler. I was 218 pounds. Wow. And I'm 5'10". Yeah. Like, dude, I, I could have bullied anybody in that race to do whatever I wanted because I was <laughs> so much bigger than everybody. Uh, it was ridiculous. Um, 
So yeah, does is there a huge genetic factor in there that makes you optimal? One hundred percent. For ultra endurance running, I, I don't know. And look at it for CrossFit, right? The five eight to five ten athlete that's one hundred ninety pounds. They're the ones that seem to rise to the top in that sport. You're not going to get away from that no matter what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but I think that that shouldn't play into a factor of whether you decide to take those things on or not. Exactly. Right. I mean, we talked about it too. Like you're you're at 218 pounds running running that race. We look at me when when I started this, I was 220. Now I said 190 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about the numbers or whatever else are still pretty there. You know, what I'm saying they've dropped a lot. Obviously, mass moves mass. But it, it's one of those things where it's like, dude, like you talked about already just recently, or just, just in the same, like what we just were just talking about, like, it's your body. Go fucking do what you want to do. Right. And who cares about weight ratio? Your body's going to adapt to what you're doing anyways. Right. Now, there's testing you can do, like, there's blood testing you can do to figure out what am I optimal for? What are my genes set up optimally for? Um, but I would argue, like we said, we said in the beginning, uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, Humans are optimal for fucking living. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Like, it's like, are you, unless you're trying to be the world champion at something, then that, those are things that you really want to take into account. Yeah. Right. But for the average person that wants to maximize this little bit of time we have on this blue rock, dude, go do what you want to do yeah. and figure out how to do it. Yeah. Right. Take these complex things and break them down. And, you know, in the book, I talk about what's called the bucket list blueprint. And essentially the reason I use the word bucket list, because I think, we tend to save that for things we think would be cool, but we're never actually going to fucking do, right? And so, like, people have, like, run a marathon on their bucket list. Well, take these complicated or complex big goals that are going to force you to level up in order to reach them, and then start breaking down the steps that you need to in order to get there. There's always a way. You can reverse engineer fucking anything that's yeah. been done in the world, I promise you. Um, and you. But you have to be smart about it. So going to the the question of genetics I, I don't think it matters it doesn't it, I, I agree with you on that too i listened to a podcast with joe rogan i forgot the guy's name but he's an anth uh, anthropologist mm -hmm. and he talks about 50 percent of everything is going to be um genetics and the other 50 percent is going to be willpower and purpose yeah and he was using that to talk about the political debate stuff right mm -hmm. he said that gen research and experiment has shown that if you grow up inside or if you're born as a republican you're either going to go 50% Republican or you go 50% the opposite way. Yeah. It's all genetic. And I kind of took that as like, all right, cool. I can see it. It's like, but that also goes in depth with what you want to do with life. Right. Like I look at this, right. My, my, my grandfather owned his own business. Mm -hmm. Right. My dad owned his own business. What did I start doing? Running my own businesses. And I worked for a big time company. Genetically, I was already set up to go ahead and own my own business and live my life that way. Yeah. But my grandfather and my dad never ran fucking 50 miles, never right. did what I did. Yeah. Cause that's a purpose and willpower that I want to do because of the fact, again, the lack of ability to do something. I don't want to care. Again, I'm not trying to be the best at that. Right. You're not trying to be the best at it. Right. Like, but you are trying to be the best you, right. the best version of you. And I think that's the greatest thing about this whole ultra running and you writing your book was it cause it's going to make you the best version of you every day. And we talked about your, on your show, we might look at this five years from now and be like, holy fuck, what were yeah. we talking about? <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about um, injury prevention stuff that you did mm -hmm. um, while getting ready for all these races during the 10 races you did this past year. You know, what did your injury pre uh, prevention protocols look like? Um, so I, I realized fairly quickly I had to add three things into my training um, if I wanted to be successful and I wanted to remain relatively injury-free. Of course, the first one I already hit on posterior chain, I think it's one of the biggest ones right? Um, 
and that that looked like a lot of kettlebell work truthfully it looked like a lot of front rack step ups um stuff like that like a lot of box step ups and then the second thing is midline stability now if you i love the the phrase like if you can't breathe in a position you don't own that position yeah. right you're renting it originally eventually it's gonna fuck you up um and so midline stability once you realize your limbs they're gonna run out of steam eventually it's gonna be your midline that's able to take those on um and you probably realized it with your race like you said you started having a little back pain through that hip hinge um and so there's probably a lot of things we could do there to, to really work that midline stability, the muscular endurance as it relates to your core. A lot of times we miss the boat on core work because we try to crunch too much. The core wasn't meant to crunch, right? I get it. It makes you look sexy. Um, it makes you get a fast CrossFit time, but the core was meant to be stable, right? So I do a lot of overhead uh, stability walking. I do a lot of core uh, plank stuff. And I don't do a lot of... Um, sit-ups and toast to bar and those sort of things they have their place 100 percent. and i do them sometimes but i realize like no i need to be able to hold a very tight core position for a very long period of time um and so those were the two biggest things and then the other thing is getting a lot of unilateral work a lot of single leg work running inherently is a unilateral motion yeah. right you're only using one leg at a time you're absorbing shock one leg at a time you're pushing off one leg at a time so when we're training it doesn't, to me, make a lot of sense to do a lot of two-legged stuff because when you do, even with something like a squat, again, of course it has its place, but you get these energy leaks. And what happens is the other side of your body is going to compensate for, and, and with squat, you'll feel it, right? Your posterior chain should be doing a lot of the work. You look at crossfitters, they have these overdeveloped quads because what happens is they start to fall forward and their quads catch the rest of the work. So you really have to be able to isolate different movements and endurance a 5K, 10K marathon might not bring that out in you. A uh, 50 mile or 100K, oh, yeah. 200 miles, those things are going to matter. As time goes on, like I said, like ultras have a really good way of breaking down all of these exterior things and it gets you really to the core of what's going on here. Is my core able to handle it? Is my midline, is my uh, posterior chain going to get burnt out? And so those are the big things. Uh, posterior chain, midline stability, and the unilateral work. And you know what's funny, man, is all this stuff is what we've always been doing. People just are ne neglected from doing it. Yeah, because it's not sexy. It's not sexy. It's not it, it, a one rep max on squat and deadlift is, is awesome, right? Yeah. That's the shit people like to post about. Dude, holding kettlebells in a front rack position while you do box step-ups ad nauseum, not only does it fucking suck because you can't breathe and you know it's an uncomfortable place to be in, it's not sexy to look no. at. It's not a good Instagram no. And I'm, I'm like, I'm interested, I'm fascinated by this sort of like pseudo motivational culture that we're in right now. You know, I think there's a lot of, it's popular to post the motivational memes on Instagram and to post the one rep max and with some kind of motivational thing because it's sexy. That's not where the fucking work gets done. No. Dude. Like, and that's, you know, I struggle with it too because I'm like building this personal brand, just like, you know, you're doing the same. And so those one rep maxes and those things that get a lot of likes and a lot of attention, you want to post more of those. At the end of the day, though, you got to look at what your goal is long term and you got to do the uncomfortable work that's going to get you. Oh, yeah. So you can be comfortable longer. That's right. You know, that's right. one of the best things, you know, it's cool is like, you know, during my race, the first year, you, I literally sent you my straw bone that you can see where I was at. And I love the thing is like, stay comfortable. Yeah. And, and like, and the people are like, well, you're talking about being uncomfortable for so long. No, I'm being comfortable in a certain way that's completely different <clears throat> than what everyone thinks comfortable. I'm not comfortable. I'm not being comfortable like on a couch. I'm staying comfortable in the aspect of what I'm doing, the experience that I'm in that right. moment. Because 
the longer I'm comfortable, I'm going to be able to sustain and put out more energy. So once I become uncomfortable in that bad boy, that's it, dude. that's it, dude, the fight's on. And I even, I remember, I remember sent you a, a text message. I was like, Oh yeah. Mile 29 is like, I'm in the fight right now, bro. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the fight, yeah. you know? And it's, it's, it's funny. Dude is like, so that is injury prevention. Yeah. Right. We talked about that recovery protocols now mm -hmm. over some of your recovery protocols. I know you said you've been doing, uh, and we'll leave you to talk about, but you just got done with the art of breath course with Brian McKenzie and, uh, Rob Wilson. When we talked about your show, but those guys fucking get it. Yep. They understand it. You know, Brian McKenzie's done an ultra marathon runs. He's done all that crazy stuff. He's lived the life and understanding. He understands and gets it. Yeah. You know, now for you by doing all this, like, you know, with the 10, with the 10 races you just did this year, what, what recovery protocols were you doing that really stood out to make a difference for you? So the breath work is good because what it allows you to do is downregulate, right? And that's where we kind of miss the boat. We finish training. Crossfitters do okay. Maybe they mobilize or whatever. Um, and we stretch out, but then we just jump right back into our lives. We never take five minutes to downregulate, to come back to baseline. The quicker you're able to come back to baseline, to become parasympathetic, the quicker you're able to start the recovery process, right? So that's the most important thing to me. Like first thing, and I, I do this with all the athletes I program, I always hit on this as a coaching cue, kind of knowing that context behind what we're doing once we finish, we need to come back to baseline as quick as possible. Breathing for me has been a great tool for that. Uh, I do the cold contrast. I do the ice in the hut. Uh, at least three times a week. It, I don't know. I can't say any science behind like it speeds up my recovery by X percentage, but it definitely helps, right? And you're yeah. reducing inflammation. And when you come to these long races, that's, that's what it's all about, man. It's about reducing inflammation because your body's going to be so inflamed after these things. It doesn't know what to do with all yeah. that inflammation. So one of the biggest things that I started doing is cutting out carbs post-race. So as soon as I finish, I give myself a meal to just yeah. go off the hinges. Like I, I really go off the rails. I'm talking pizza, Ben and Jerry's, <laughs> fucking doing the damn thing. But then right after that, it's like, okay, it's time to, it's time to bring it back. I cut out all carbs because it, it really reduces inflammation. I cut out all gluten um, and I eat essentially a ketogenic yeah. diet for three days right after the race. And I feel like, I mean, even you mentioned, you know, four or five days later, you're at a hundred percent now. Yeah. And that's about my recovery process too. At first, before I got all these kind of recovery things in line, it, it took me longer. One thing I'll say, recovery is the holy grail of fitness. And that's what people understand. The more you are able to recover, the more work you're able to do, right? And so people should focus on recovery like it is your workout, right? They should give it the same amount of attention, the same amount of mental bandwidth, because the more you're able to recover, the more work you're able to do, bottom line. Yeah. You know, and so we, we think about it, it's like, we work out and then we rest waiting for our body to recover. It's like, no, take an active role in that recovery, mm -hmm. you know, through things like mobility, foam rolling, ice and, uh, ice and heat contrast, uh, all those different things. Yeah, dude, it's, it leads me to this, dude, as we talk about this, as we're getting ready to close a little bit and talk about the recovery protocol stuff. It's funny you talk about that because, like, getting into, like, all of this, you know, with ultra running and be able to recover fast and to get back to run again and do all that stuff. I really had to look at my nutrition and how my body reacted to carbs and fats along with how do my body react to ice baths and heat along with how do my body react to breathing protocols, all those things. And we talk about that. Everyone's like, man, these guys are talking about simple things. They're talking about eating, sleeping and breathing. Right. The three main things that we do when we're first born. Yep. I didn't go out and ask for no simple, whatever, like, you know, some kind of magic pill 
at all. Yeah. This is what I was doing to help keep myself recovered and get back at it. And to talk a little bit, you know, I listen to a podcast talking and I, I listen to random podcasts sometimes about like keto diets or just like research stuff. So like yeah. when I got into breathing, I started learning more about that, how it can impact sleep, sleep apnea, PTSD. And then I was like, all right, well, how does the ketogenic diet really work? And how can we utilize that while still implementing carbs? And then I was like, well, how does, you know, how does my sleep affect all this stuff? Yeah. And I come to see that, all right, hey, having a higher fat diet does lower inflammation in the body, but also lowers inflammation in the brain, mm-hmm. right. right? And then I was like, all right, cool. Well, ice baths actually help lower acidity and inflammation in the body and the brain. So pairing these two together, I just made this super pill. Yeah. Oh, and then when I sleep, my body goes into a recovery process. Right. All of a sudden now I have this big magic pill that I'm utilizing to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And again, how long does it really take to do all these recovery protocols? Right, not long, right? Yeah. We're talking a five-minute breath protocol. Yeah. We're talking right. a fucking cold shower. Yeah. We're talking, these things aren't long. Um, and we said it at the beginning of the show, the human body was meant for great fucking things. We evolved doing great things, things that now we look at as amazing, like an ultra marathon. This was in the human DNA. It's in your DNA just by nature. If you're listening to this, you're one of the people meant to do these things, yeah. right? Um, and you just have to get back to baseline, dude. Get back to the things, like you mentioned, breathing, eating, sleeping. These are the things that we were meant to do as humans. The things that we try to bypass with technology, right? We try to, here's the thing. If you could put out a pill and I told you like, listen, dude, I just created this pill. It's going to make you look better. It's going to make you sleep better. It's going to make you feel better. Uh, you're going to be smarter. People would mortgage their fucking house for that pill, right? You're talking about CBD world? <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> Whatever's new, dude. Whatever's, Whatever's new. new. You know, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know what those things are, dude? That's fucking eight hours of sleep. That's a cold shower. That's, uh, you know, manipulating some of your biology through what you put in your food. You're not going to, you have to manipulate the inputs in order to get what you want out, right? But these are basic things. You can't fucking feed yourself fast food and think that what you're going to get out is high performance. Yeah. What you put in, right, is what you're going to get out. Yeah. And we talk about the food thing, dude. It's funny. It's like you said, like my race was on Friday. I had a whole pizza and some wings, had some donuts. And then uh, Saturday came around and I ate like a madman, but I also slept all day. Yeah. Like I literally got worked on. I slept and ate all day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I took three naps. <laughs> yeah. Because I couldn't move. Right. I mean, I could move, but it wasn't very nice. and It was painful. Right. Um, but I'll tell you what, like, you know, going back to the races, did you take any kind of like anti-inflammatory like medicine during your race? Um, you know, for me, I'm not a big advocate of like pain pills or Advil or any of that stuff. Yeah. I'm a big advocate of CBD oil. Yeah. And I actually had on me was uh, sports legs and CBD oil Yeah. Um, during my race. And whenever I took the CBD oil every two hours, for a good hour, I felt great. Yeah. Like the pain subsided a little bit, um, which was able to help me keep my pace going. But for you, you know, what were some of the things that you utilized when you were running? Um, so magnesium is huge and that's what's heavy in sports legs. Yeah. You can also use Tums for that. Okay. Uh, people don't realize you start cramping up really heavy in a race and your legs like get to that lockup phase. You can get out of it pretty quickly with Tums. Okay. So you can do a lot of Tums. Um, I will say I'm in the military and a lot of your listeners are probably in the military. And so CBD, marijuana, those are options that we have been taking exactly. off the table, which is unfortunate. I think because as far as a reducing and probably not smoking it, but a reducing inflammation standpoint, um, and getting like good quality of sleep, that's something that could really help. Um, unfortunately, you're in the military, you have to kind of use the legal methods that you have. Um, but you know, one thing I didn't mention in the recovery methods, it's a staple, I don't know how I miss it, is floating. Um, okay, you like floating, cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I will schedule a float before I even race. Nice. Or dude. before my long runs. Clear mind. Yeah, um, for a couple reasons. One, it helps me re- reflect. That's an hour of sensory deprivation. 
You know, we live in a world of inputs, dude. I have, yeah, I've caught, we have one, two, three, four screens on this table right now. <laughs> then we have five over there against five the wall of the TV. I've caught myself stopping at a, I fucking, the other day, I stopped at a red light. I'm checking Instagram. My girlfriend's talking and I'm listening to music. This is a world of like input yeah. and it, and it's made us immune to the moment, dude. We can't, we don't process what's happening. So when you float, not only are you getting the Epsom salt, which is helping with the muscular recovery, um, you should, it's like a systemic, you know, Epsom salt bath. At the same time, you have that sensory deprivation. You get to take a step back and think about like what went right, what went wrong. The noise from the world gets shut out. And that's when I do my best creating too. It's like, yeah. you know, so um, floating is like probably the number one thing I recommend. And kind of going back to the CBD aspect, there's actually non-psychoactive CBD that does not show up in, in drug tests. So does it not show up? That's one thing. So there's there, there's different there's different uh, ratios of THC to CBD oil. Yeah. And CBD oil, there are the ratios where there's no THC at all in it, and that you can't take it without popping on drug test. Okay. Um. So that's what I use. I literally had legit CBD that was no THC in it. Yeah. Um. And it was just pure CBD. It was like up there. It was it was a high ratio of CBD. Really. Um. But it also had some fats in it. Okay. It was a pill with C. High ratio of CBD and all with uh, medium chain, yeah, triglyceride type. Fats. Yes, yeah, yeah, in there. And I'll tell you what, I got no stomach problems, and I didn't start cramping up. Obviously, I was drinking, you know, water and putting in the sports and endurance stuff. But that's what really helped out with me. Did you then. vape it? No, okay. no, no, no. It was a pill. Oh, pill. It was okay. a pill. It was literally, yeah, it was just a pill, dude. Yeah, and yeah, it was just that simple. Um, so I kind of it's funny I talk about that right now, right? People are like CBD oil. What are you talking about THC? No, it's it's non non-THC, it's non-psychoactive, and will not pop up in drug test. So there you go. You piss hot, George will come sit in your stead in front of the man. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you have to look for that ratio. And there's other people out there that can talk smarter about it or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's kind of one of those things, you know, when we're getting into, that, into the recovery protocol and all that good stuff is kind of what we talk about there. They're tools. Right? All tools. Like, that's, that's the thing. We, we kind of joked about it. It's like CBD is a new thing. Look. They're all different tools. You should experiment with them to find out what your, the intricacies of human biology are fucking complicated. Find out what works for you. I found out taking carbs out of my diet post-race works for me. Might not work for you, right? Some people are just terrible human beings to be around when you take yeah. carbs away from them. Figure out what works for you. But the more you experiment, the more you expose yourself to, the more you are able to realize what works. And then the shit that doesn't work, get rid of it. Right. Figure out your process. That's how you're going to maximize the human experience, right? Yeah. Figure out what works for you. Yeah. So this kind of brings us down to the conclusion of the podcast, dude. And it kind of brings me to this one. Where can we find the book? Mm -hmm. Burnyourcouch.com. So burnyourcouch.com. Can they also get on Amazon if they wanted to? Yes. Yeah, so that link will send you to oh, sweet. Amazon. Um, and you can get, I have the hard copy versions. You can actually order the hard copy soft cover or you can order the ebook. They're okay, both sweet. on there. I'm recording the audiobook next week. So that'll awesome, be available. Man. So cool. And then they can reach you where at, because I know you have multiple social media chains that you have. Yeah. Instagram at run, lift, evolve, run, dot, lift, dot, evolve. Um, and from there I post about all my businesses and experiments and misadventures. So that's probably the best way to find me. Cool. Um, what new adventures do you have coming up this coming year? Uh, in February, I'm going to take on a hundred miles of the Iditarod trail. So we mentioned, I lean heavy on aid stations and ultra marathons. Like it's something I've realized like, too heavy. It makes me uncomfortable how much I really appreciate them, right? That lack of inability is pissing me off. Um, so I'm going to do a hundred miles of the Iditarod trail completely unsupported. You have to, uh, carry all of your stuff with you in a sled behind you to drag all your aid, Fuck yeah. all your water, everything. Um, so I'm going to do that in February and 
I can't mention because I haven't, uh, the military hasn't officially let me out yet, um, but I have a fucking insane adventure in June. They're completely insane, completely different. Um, so if you follow me, you'll find out what that is soon. And then we're going to do a crazy ass triathlon. Yeah, so we November. actually, we talked about it on your show, but we actually are going to be doing the extreme triathlon in Florida. It's a coast to coast three day Ironman. Um, three back to back. Yeah, three Ironman. back to back Ironman. So <laughs> yeah. like, I think it's on a Friday we do from like the, the Atlantic Ocean on our bike to the Gulf Coast, which is like a 112 mile bike yeah. into a, uh, it's like a, it was almost into like a 30 K run, yeah. a 30 K run or something like that. And the next day, the same thing again, two mile swim, yeah. hundred plus something with another 34, close to 40 K run. And then the Sunday is getting after it. So I'm excited for that dude. And I'm looking forward to all that stuff, dude. And thank you. So one more question. What is your biggest fear? Ooh, biggest fear. You know what? My biggest fear is that tomorrow is going to be the exact same as today. And the day after that is going to be the exact same. And then 70 years later, I'm going to call that a life, right? My biggest fear is that I'm going to be afraid of all of these, you know, cause it's scary to put yourself out in the world. Dude, writing a book was one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. And I'll tell you why, because when I put out a supplement, people, you don't like it. Cool, man. You don't like creatine. You don't like coffee, whatever that is. Right. You put out a book, you're like, no, your fucking thoughts are garbage, dude. It's like, dude, it feels very personal. It feels very like on a front on who you are. So it was nerve wracking to do. My fear is that I will take those fears and it's going to stop me from living my best self. Right. And it's like, I know intrinsically, yeah, man, take the failures, shoulder that shit, realize what worked, double down and crush it next time. Right. And if you don't crush it, then crush it the time after that. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It's the evolution. It's not, life's not about, uh, you know, and I used to be like, let's fucking conquer this. And you start living for that end result. Right. You start living for that goal, that podium moment. If you live for that, your life's going to fucking suck because that moment is so short lived. It's not about getting to the top of one mountain. It's about the evolution that occurs as you try to climb multiple, multiple mountains, mountains, right? Yeah. You, know, you said it on my podcast. It's like you know, easily top three quote I have from all the hundreds of podcasts I've done so far, which is like every day I wake up at the bottom of that fucking mountain, right? Yeah. My biggest fear is that 70 years later, I will have decided not to climb the fucking mountain, right? Yeah. Uh, what we like to mention and talk about is actually Rick actually has put out a PDF uh, with pros and cons along with do's and don'ts um, for your first ultra. And actually I utilized that a little bit for myself mm-hmm. and took in what worked for me and what didn't work for me. Um, but I think it's a great PDF for a lot of people because we are talking about, you've been hit up like crazy from people about doing ultras and I'm starting to get hit up. I really been recent. I've been hit up by a few people so far with ideas and what they should do and don't. And I think a good place to go with that is with your stuff. So if you want to talk a little bit on that real quick, that'd be cool. Yeah, no, I, yeah, exact same way. I've been like hit up just people are like, they see it. And they're kind of like, God, I kind of want it. Like that seed, once it's planted, you're fucked. Yeah. Just realize it's going to grow until you actually cave and do the damn thing. Um, so I, all I did is I put it, it called it like the ultramarathon need to know guide. And in the future, I'm going to continue to put out, like I'm going to put out a tapering guide and a recovery, like, you know, more things as it goes. Basically, that's just like, hey, these are things to think about whenever, whenever you're doing your first ultra. Not only like maybe a packing list, but also like normal, like administrative things that people don't think about, like aid station uh, etiquette and stuff like that. And then a couple of mindset things. Like I think the biggest thing in that need to know guide, um, which we mentioned, we'll link up in your show notes. Um, the biggest thing with that is that you got to manage the highs and the lows, you know, and I, we don't have to go all the way into it here, but it's like the biggest takeaway from that guide. Yeah. You mentioned in your, uh, at your thing, like around mile 30, you hit a low. Those lows are coming, man. Yeah. Yet the, the ability to do well in an ultra is 
in large part directly relation uh, in a direct relationship to your ability to manage the highs and the lows. What I mean is mean by that is when you're in a low, don't go to too dark of a place, right? That's what I like about ultras. There's a lot of translation to life, but don't go to too dark of a place because um, if you start looking for a reason to quit, you'll fucking find it. I promise you that. If you want to quit, you'll find a reason. Um, so when you get in that low, the way you manage it is you keep moving forward. You know, I think about, I have the mental cues that I think about like how my stride is, how my gait is. Um, and then the, on the flip side of that is managing the highs. And so when you feel good, when that runner's high hits, you want to make that last. That's why I texted you and I'm like, stay comfortable, man. It's like, don't get that runner's high and then start clocking eight minute miles yeah. because you're going to run yourself into a low two miles later. Yeah. You know what I mean? So make it last. So the, the guide has stuff like that in there as well. That actually was the biggest help off that guide was that. Okay. Cause biggest you know, lesson learned. Biggest though. lesson learned is because I actually didn't blow my load when yeah. I got a high coming in. Yep. Um, it was funny. It was like, I realized only it was only 50 miles and I can't wait to experience when I do a hundred miles. But when that first, that 50 miles, I established two lows. And those lows seemed like they lasted forever. Mm -hmm. But then my highs came in and I got my high at mile 32 and it went all the way to about 37, 38, which is great, which I was able to run a 12 minute pace. And then when I low came back in, I was back to a 15, 16, 17 mile power walk. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden mile 48. So my low was eight miles again. Yeah. And then my high kicked into the last two miles where I was able to run holding a 13, 14 minute pace. And that's when I finished my 50 miler. Mm -hmm. And again, it's just like life. Lows are going to be a lot more detrimental to you than you think your highs will ever be. And everyone's only going to remember the lows. Yeah. I can't say, I, can I remember my highs much? No, I just know I felt good running it, but I can tell you what my fucking lows felt like and yeah. what my body felt like and how my hips, feet and everything were just miserable and how I had to stay there mentally. Um, but yeah, that was a big thing for there. So guys, Hey, we'll go ahead and put down the show notes for you guys. And you know, when you go back in his, his Instagram stuff, it's in there too. Yeah. Um, so like I said, that, that PDF is huge. It was a big help for me and I know it's going to be a big help for you guys also. Yeah. We'll link it up. It's on my um, podcast show notes. I'll tell you like super fast the way that I learned this lesson. You know, whenever you do a really long race, typically you go through the night and then into the day. The first race I ever did start the first hundred started at 6 PM. And so I went through the night and man, you hit some fucking lows at night, dude. Like you can't see your first, especially if you're not used to it. I mean, just some, some real lows you, you got to experience them. And then going, what happens is it's, it's like clockwork. That sun comes up and it hits you like a runner's high and you feel great. And so what happened to me is I, I, that sun came up at mile 35 or something like that, uh, or 40. I felt great. And I picked up the pace to like literally an 830 or something Damn. like that. And I was just charging and I'm like, dude, I'm going to run this in under 24 hours. First hundred. So dumb. And, uh, Dude, by mile 50, I couldn't take more than a step without puking or like complete like projectile diarrhea. I literally, and that lasted for like miles. I ran myself so hard into a low that it was like that lesson will be fucking seared in my mind. Forever, <laughs> so just read the guide. Like hopefully you can learn from some of my pain before you go through. Awesome, dude. First of all, I want to say thanks to you for coming on the show. And like I said, it's, it's, it's amazing to have someone that's just so like-minded like myself mm. and everyone that's actually starting to come on to this or listening to our show. Um, I think it's, I think you just, you just blew a lot of people's mind. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. But if you guys haven't read his book yet, please go and check it out again. Social media, you can get it at, uh, you can hit them up at run dot lift dot evolve. Yep. You can look at uh, burnyourcouch.com, which will take you to go buy it. You can get the hard copy or the ebook and soon to come is the audio version yeah. um, for a lot of us who don't like to read, yeah. like to just listen. Yeah. Um, 
I hope that we put it, I'm going to hope, I'll go ahead and buy the audio version and put it on 1.5 to see how you sound super fast. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, I'm going to put out chapter eight on my show. So Awesome. Be cool. cool. All right. Well, thanks, Stephen. I appreciate it, man. Cool. Thanks, guys.